So I don't know how you guys think about coming to church, but I have kind of, for myself and my family, we've kind of narrowed it down to three things. And I pray this over my kids every Saturday night. I pray that we would come to church ready to worship God with full abandon because he is worthy of our praise. I pray that we would have open hearts to hear the message, however that comes um, through the word of God, that it would speak to our hearts and that we would leave changed. And then I also pray for our community gathering that we would both be an encouragement to others and that we would also be encouraged. So those are kind of my top three things that I pray for my kids over our church. And, and I hope that you've come with some of those thoughts in your mind as well. Maybe you've already pressed into some of those this morning, but I'm going to give you another chance at this community aspect. You were a little quiet when we first came on stage, a little eerie. It's not normally like that. I'm going to give you another chance to greet one another. I want to encourage you to leave your, your aisle. It's not a pew. Leave your chairs and find somebody that you didn't talk to this morning. And I just want to kind of give this blanket statement of grace to everyone. I think sometimes we can like see familiar faces and not know names and we kind of get a little bit nervous about that. Let's just, can we all agree to just humble ourselves? And even if you know you've seen that person for years and years and years and you don't know their name to just say, hey, I'm really sorry, but I don't know your name. Can you tell me your name? Can, can we all just agree that that's okay and we're not going to pass judgment. So go find somebody maybe that you don't know who their name is. Tell them that you're glad that they're here today. Uh, maybe say an uplifting word and we're going to sing again in just a few minutes. Go ahead.
Luke chapter 3, um, yeah, I'll just read it. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And I love this verse, because did you catch the Trinity? Did you catch the Trinity? Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God, all one whom we serve. And sometimes it can get maybe a little bit confusing as we sing songs that, that maybe have all three names. Like who are we, are we are worshiping the right one? Yes, it's all, it's all God. We serve a, a triune God, God the Father, Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit who comes and dwells among us and is in this place. And we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing this song that says, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Did you know God has a name? Yahweh, because he's personal and he wants to show himself to his people. And he's done that and he continues to do that. So as we sing this song of heaven, <laughs> That we are praising the name of the Lord our God. I want you to think of Yahweh and I want you to think of Jesus. Let's cast our mind here. Let's sing together. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands,
prayer this morning. It's reminded of a conversation I've had this week with, with a friend asking how things were going at my new church. And it's been 11 months now we've been together. For many of you, that's you seem like a surprise. Um, Nancy just told me a little bit ago, time flies when you're having fun. And I hope you're having fun. I hope you're enjoying what God is doing. I know we are. Looking forward to the next year we have together. Uh, but I've, I've, I shared with my friend this past week that this last month has been especially pastoral in, in my work, in my ministry. And what I mean by that is now, uh, not that we just last month started to have issues, but the issues seem to be coming together. Uh, the weight uh, that many are dealing with is, is very real. I just felt compelled this morning just to get some time out of our service to, to open up our altars, to invite those that are struggling with some very real needs. Maybe it's a loved one, maybe something you're dealing with yourself. Maybe it's a relationship issue, maybe it's work or uncertainty, perhaps a fear that you're dealing with. Just to give us some time to come and pray. And we have some pews in the front row. If you can't kneel, you're welcome to come. But uh, I'm going to invite you in just a few moments uh, as we prepare for prayer to just to intercede, to be an intercessor for someone sitting next to you or behind you or beside you. Just to spend some time in prayer. Because while I'm thankful for the calling God's put upon my life to be your pastor, we all in many ways are pastoral to one another as we walk with each other through the valleys that we are going through. And some of you, maybe you're not going through a difficult time. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm certainly, there's certain there's stories in your past where you have, and the people standing beside you walked with you. So let us today be, be those people now, standing in the gap for others, interceding, going to the Lord in prayer. I want to invite you to come, and, and we're going to spend some time at the altar today just asking God, to hear us. We know he hears us. We know he sees us. But this is just an affirmation. Lord, we're trusting in you. You are our hope in these situations, and we need you. Let's spend some time together as a, as a faith family, praying to our Heavenly Father in an altar of prayer this morning. Father, as I stand up on this platform and look upon this faith family, this flock that you've entrusted me to lead, I see more than their faces. I see their stories. I see what they're dealing with in many, many of their instances. I, I know, Lord, what's hidden. I know those struggles in their lives that they haven't shared publicly. And Lord, admittedly, there's times I'm at a loss for words. Then I'm reminded, God, that you are also behind me. And you see the same people. You see the same faces. You know the same names. You know the same stories. And I'm reminded, God, that you also see each one of us intimately. As in the deep recesses of our hearts, you know our struggles. They're not unknown to you. So, Lord, this act of prayer this morning is not to inform you it's not to update you. It's not to let you know or to fill you in on what's going on, what's been happening in our lives. You know all of that. Rather, Lord, it's a time for us to draw close to you, to be reminded that you see us, that you hear us, 
perhaps, Father, it's an opportunity for you to tell us how we are to stand in the gap for someone else, how we're to love them, how we're just to walk beside them, how we don't have to always have words. Often our presence is enough because it represents your presence. What a great privilege and blessing we have to be part of a faith family. May you remind us today, Lord, that we don't walk through any valley that we go through or are going through in this moment alone. We thank you, Lord, for friends, for, for, for classmates, Lord, or for, for members of small groups that we get to share life together, where we get to be your hands and feet. And Lord, I also know there's some that are on my heart today that aren't here this morning, that can't be in this place worshiping corporately together. Lord, you know their needs. You, you know, Lord, the cry of their hearts. Lord, you, you hear their cries. You, you know their yearnings. Lord, you, you know their doubts, even right now, as they're struggling with their faith. And Lord, I get it. Uh, we, we can only be weighed down for so long before it starts to get the best of us in our humanity. The burdens we carry sometimes are just too heavy. That's why you invite us to come, to give them to you. Lord, we do that this morning, in this place of worship. Take them off of our shoulders. Bring healing to our hearts. Rest to our spirits. So that, God, we can gather in this place as worshipers today. Our giants might seem really large at this moment. The fear, Lord, might really have a strong hold or might have taken root in our hearts. I pray, Father, that you would push out fear. You would remind us today that no giant is bigger than our God. Perhaps, Lord, we just need to make a declaration, a recommitment, or a new surrender. So, Lord, I was admittedly drawn and motivated to do this type of prayer this morning for some very specific reasons. Lord, you see each one, Lord, at an altar of prayer in their seat, Lord, today, rending their hearts before you for specific reasons. God, hear our prayer. While we, Lord, perhaps in our minds already have a predetermined answer or how you should answer, help us to surrender our wills to yours. Recognizing we may not ever understand why or why you tarry or why you give the answer that you do. But we're going to trust you because you are God and we are not. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the humility that some have shown today, for the faith that they've shown in coming, for the trust that they're giving to you. Lord, go before us. Continue, Lord, the works you've started. God, I pray that we will see your hand at work in our lives and the lives of those that we're standing in the gap for this morning. None of us are in this alone. For that, Lord, we have much to give you praise for. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask these things this morning. Amen. Bless you. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about this invitation Jesus gives to us to take on his zugos, his easy yoke. Uh, this wooden yoke you see up on the platform has been kind of a, 
a visual for us, a reminder of this invitation that Jesus gives to us. It looks a little bit imposing or something you might use for your children when they're having a bad day. But it's something that Jesus invites us to join him in, to take this upon ourselves, not by ourselves, but with him, so that he then can lead us, help us to become all that he wants us to be, all that he saved us to be. This thing that we call faith that we've, we've entered into, that we claim to have when we accept the salvation offered to us through the blood of Jesus Christ, this relationship that we are then invited into, uh, this thing called faith, we, we have to understand, and, and we're going to continue to hear it from me in, in the months and the years to, ahead, that faith is not a spectator sport. You have to get in the game. This past week, my four-year-old discovered uh, the video High School Musical, for many of you, that brings back nightmares, I understand. And growing up, when my girls were young, it was really aging me is how old that movie is now. Uh, but my four-year-old running down the hallway, and talking, get your head in the game, get your head in the game. And it's a great reminder, we've got to get our head in the game. That we're not just called to watch the game, we're invited to play in the game. Now, I like to listen to sports talk radio. Now, and I, I don't listen to, to local sports talk radio. That's really not where my, my affinities lie. So I, I use an app and listen to some of my other favorite teams, sports talk radio. When you listen to the guys that are on the radio or the, or the ladies on the radio, they always use we language when they're talking about their team. As we won this week. We really took it to that other team this week. Or we really played a great game. We use we language <laughs> until we lose. Then our language becomes They. They stunk it up on the field this past week. See, we all want to be part of a winning team. And when we're winning, it's we. But when we're losing, it's they. It's them. And so we're invited, though, to get off the sidelines, to become part of the we. See, with a life of faith, you choose to be on the team. And God, as our head coach, as our manager, lets everybody play. Not that we all get a trophy just for being on the team, although that's part of it. We're invited to participate, to be on the field. You get a jersey, and you get to be on the court, so to speak. You are not, rather you cannot, simply be a spectator. If you're watching from the sidelines, something's missing. Dr. Kevin Harney, in his book, Out, or Organic Outreach, simply says this, evangelism it's not a spectator sport. It's something we're all called to. We're called to it because we're a product of it. Someone did it for us, so in return, because of what grace is, we also have to do the same thing. And we're motivated and compelled to do this in Matthew chapter 22. We've been over this for the last five weeks. I'm going to share it with you one more time. Maybe perhaps you've gotten it applied and memorized. And it's something that you will now always remember. When Jesus says, when he's being tested by, by the religious leaders to define what the greatest commandment of, their, of all in Scripture, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then he continues. He wasn't even asked to continue, but he gives them a second one. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, Jesus says. Everything is dependent upon these two commandments. Nothing else that comes after these two has any weight without the first two. They all hang on these two commands. We have to love God and love our neighbors. And as we've shared over the last few weeks, you can't do one without the other. To love God by default means that we are compelled to love our neighbors. 
The opposite is also true. We cannot love our neighbors without also loving God. Don't you love how simple this faith thing really is? We then read Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. I'll read just the first two verses of that this morning. Jesus went through all the towns, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the crowds and was moved to act. Thus we see in Jesus the real meaning, the true meaning for us, to the word compassion. Compassion isn't simply just giving. Compassion is being compelled to do something, to meet a need, to go a little bit further, to give something of ourselves. Jesus had to because of what he saw. In previous weeks, we've asked the question, what do we see amongst the crowds? Are they an inconvenience? Are they in the way? I shared the story of my friend Mikey, of how God put him in my life, I believe, specifically helped me to see what do we see? And last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus calls us a name. Jesus is in the name callings. This is a good name. Because the name that he calls us is also a description for those who call themselves disciples. He gives us a different name. He calls us to be salty, to be salt, to add flavor, to preserve the message. But with that calling, with that name, also comes the responsibilities. He tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If we're not salty as his disciples, then in Jesus' own words, then we're no longer good for anything. We need Jesus. We know that. We profess to that. We, we claim that. We testify to that. But by accepting Jesus as his disciple, as we follow after him, he calls us salt. The following also requires us to go. Salt has to be salty. And salt, in it, by its nature, by its chemical makeup, creates thirst. What do we make people thirsty for? Salt creates longing. What do our lives make people long for? Are we attractive in our lifestyle, or are we repulsive? Are we pushing people away? There's strong adjectives, strong verbs, I get that, but that's what this message demands of us. Where are we at? Last Sunday, we were asked to take our evangelism temperature, a scale of 1 to 10, how well do we see the crowds? And then we were challenged to increase our temperature by one degree, doing something a little bit outside of our comfort zone or something outside of our routine that would help us to see, that would respond to, to the opportunities that God gives to us. See, this life of faith requires that we get off the bench, that we get off the sidelines, that we get in the game. Do we live a life that creates thirst in others? See, Jesus saw the crowds and added flavor. Jesus saw and interceded to preserve and to protect. Jesus saw and created a thirst for living water. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, we're invited to follow his example. Paul exclaims to the church in Corinth, follow my example. He says, as I follow the example of Christ. In church, Jesus invites us to take on his easy yoke. There's nothing about that that looks easy. It's really not. If I take this on myself and invite you to join me on this yoke, it's not going to be easy. It's not easy until we yoke ourselves to Jesus. 
his response to this invitation was in part due to the fact that many had yoked themselves to the religious teachings of the day, of the Pharisees, of the religious leaders. Their way was not easy. Their way of following rules was impossible. It was contradictory. They could never do it fully. Jesus says, get rid of that teaching and come follow me. As I humbly show you what it is my father had in mind all along. We take on his easy yoke. We follow his example as he leads us. We do as he says, and we be who he calls us to be. I just shared Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And let me go one or two more verses to 14 and 15. So he continues in this idea of calling us names. Not only are we salt, but in verse 14, you are also light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, and so they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. Thus we have the song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bush? No, I'm going to let it shine. I won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. I know I left out some words there, but that's okay. That's the most singing you're going to get out of me. And then you're like, praise the Lord. <laughs> and what we see in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, is that light is valuable. But light also wasn't easy in this day. It was not something to be taken for granted. So it was not wasted. What Jesus is saying is, is no one lights the, the, a candle and hides it. No one, no one lights or creates light out of an oil lamp and covers it up. That's incredibly wasteful. No one would hide light. He was speaking to a crowd that understood this. If you lit a candle, it was for a reason. If you had an oil lamp lit, it was, it was for a good purpose. It was so that others could see. That's what light does. It helps us to see. It would be pointless to cover it up. It would be foolish to try to hide it. Because light battled darkness. Light confronted fear. And, and it's one of those fears that continues to perpetuate through our culture, through our lives today. One of the first fears we develop is we're afraid of the dark. Even as a young child, we become afraid of the dark. It's, it seems almost natural, although we don't always realize that fear is taught. Fears are something that we're taught. So we pass on our fears to our children and to others. But although fear is taught in our context today, what I also want us to understand is that the love of darkness is also taught. The pursuit of darkness away from the light is also something that we teach others, that we model for others if we're not careful. So here Jesus invites us or tells us that you don't just hide a light that you, 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 you light, you put it on a lamp. You, you lift it up. You put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. You hold it up. You ever been in a power outage? I am sometimes amazed at how much light a simple candle can emit, especially in the midst of pitch black darkness. And here Jesus calls us the light of the world. Church, what would it look like if we truly got excited about having that name on the back of our jersey? Light. If when we got in the game, people would look at us and not see us by our names, but by see us by the name that Jesus calls us. Now entering the game number 12, here comes salt. <laughs> Subbing in for salt is light. That should get exciting for us. We are invited not only to play, but Jesus gives us specific purposes, specific positions to play, things that we're to do. He puts us on a stand. 
when we're given opportunities to witness and to testify, that's Jesus taking light and putting it up on a lampstand so that all around us, those that are around us that are nearest can see. Now, for some, that's what turns you away. You don't want to be seen. You don't want people to be focused on you, and I understand that. I, I was a shy, red-headed, kind of nerdy kid with glasses. I know not much has changed in 40 years, and that's okay. I've, I've learned to embrace that side of me, and, and, but, but I used to understand what it was like to have your eyes, have eyes focused on you. When I was in eighth grade, we were doing a spelling test, and my, my eighth grade teacher, Mrs. Sago was her name, would have us grade each other's tests. So we would get done, we would trade papers, we would grade each other's tests, and and then we'd pass them back, and then she would go around the room. This is her way of, of holding us accountable. We would have to then tell her out loud what our grade was. So if we did really well, of course, she'd want to, I got a 100. Or if you did really bad, you'd go, well, I didn't study as much as I should have. So it's kind of a, a way to motivate us to do well. And that was the point in eighth grade, if, if, you, if you're a guy, you understand what happens in eighth grade. And you, your voice starts to change a little bit. And I, I've shared in the past that in seventh grade, I was, I was the best soprano in the seventh, eighth grade choir. Uh, but in eighth grade, something started to change. So I wasn't a soprano anymore. And I got a 98 on this particular test, and it came time for me to share my score. I could feel it coming. I knew it was going to happen. Took a deep breath, settled myself, and I went, 98! <laughs> and of course, everyone in the room did just what you did. Mrs. Sega kind of grinned, wrote down the score. I used to like her. And then she got done. <laughs> she got done, and she says, Brian, I'm not sure I heard your score right. Can you tell me again what you got? <clears throat> With all eyes on me, as if she lifted me up on the stand, I said, not this time. And I proceeded to go, 98. <laughs> I did it twice. <laughs> oh, Miss Sago, I still have nightmares. <laughs> so I understand that some of us don't like to be put up on the stand. We don't, want, we don't want the eyes turned on us. But we have to understand it's not us that they're looking at. It's the one that we're yoked to. It's the one that we've chosen to link ourselves to. And if it's not Jesus that we're yoked to, it's something else, church. It's not just us that they see. Either they see light or they see darkness. There's not much in the middle. In fact, Jesus tells us there's nothing in the middle. So when people see you on the stand, what do they see? Do we give light to everything around us? Do, do we invite? Do we attract? And if we ever need any more clear evidence on that light attracts, just, just turn on the light on your back porch and you'll start to feel the bugs gather around you. Light attracts the annoying. Light attracts those who would bite us. Light attracts those who would do us harm. That's what light does. We also acknowledge there's this constant tug of war within us. See, we're still, in, in many ways, pulled towards the darkness. That's what Satan does. Yet there's this light that beckons us. We have this back and forth, light and dark. And the one that wins, quite honestly, is the one that we choose to allow to win. Have you ever been hunting? I, I hunt a little bit. Not a whole lot, but I hunt a little bit. And the best hunters know you've got to get out in the dark before the sun rises. You've got to get in your tree stand or in your blind, depending on what you're hunting. And you've got to get out while the, the, the sun, before the sun has risen. And there's a few times that we've gone out. And I can be honest, I don't like leaving in the dark. One, I don't like getting up that early. I wish hunting was really good at like 10 o'clock in the morning. But, but it's not. So you kind of get up and you, you head out into the woods. You head out to your blind and you're, you're in the dark. So you better know where you're going. 
Because you can't use a flashlight, at least not for very long. And, and you, you better know where you're headed or you're going to get lost. One particular year, I had a friend of mine that we were hunting on different sides of a hill. And he had shown me where this ground blind that he'd built was at. And he, I was supposed to go find it in the dark. And I was more afraid, not of the dark, but how in the world am I going to find this thing? And, and fortunately, I did, praise the Lord. And, but on my way, though, on my way of, of, of wandering through the dark, I once I actually jumped a couple of deer, and they took off. Well, I may as well go home now. There goes what I was looking for. Another time, believe it or not, I was at my parents' house. I was turkey hunting, walking out in the dark, and I jumped a horse. Uh, <laughs> there was a neighbor's horse that had gotten out of their field, and he was in my mom and dad's kind of field, and thinking, well, never done that before. I hope he gets out of the way, because if a turkey walks in front of that horse, I'm taking the shot. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's easy when in the dark to trip, to turn an ankle, or to get lost. But there's something else really special about the dark. There's been some beautiful moments as well. Because in the dark, it just seems like the stars are so much brighter. They're really not. They're still the same. But in the dark, you don't have that distraction, and you can see how they really sparkle, how bright they really are. That's how light works. The darker the darkness, the brighter the light appears. Now, in our context here, we're close to the city, but sort of outside the city, but we still have a little bit of what we call light pollution that kind of bleeds into our viewing of the stars and the dark. I kind of liken this spiritually to the confusion, the conflict or the compromise that we see, not just in our culture today, but even in the church. We're trying to be light, but we also want a little bit of the darkness to remain, and we end up with this, this gray area, and because of the gray area, we, we find ourselves ineffective. We find God perhaps not being able to do as much as I think God wants to do. And we see a little bit of good, but also a little bit of struggle, a little bit of difficulty. And often, I, I often say that there's nothing worse than church hurt. Because church should be a place where you come and find grace and love, but yet often the deepest hurts that we've experienced in life often are at the hands of the church. And that's just a general statement, don't misunderstand me. But that happens because there's this confusion, there's this gray, there's a little bit of darkness that's allowed to remain. And it speaks to the truth that sometimes people prefer the darkness. Because in the light, they see too much. Uh, the, the light reveals too much. And the, the light reveals hurts or it reveals inadequacies. It reveals failures. And we continue in our old ways because we don't like having the light shine on us in a way that reveals and shows our failures and our weaknesses. Or shows that our relationship with God is not where it should be. We realize that we're in trouble. But I'm thankful for the hope that the that Scripture gives us. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, in verse 19, just a few verses after John 3, 16, we read, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He's telling Nicodemus, this is how it's all going to happen. The light's come into the world. The men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their works were evil. He's simply speaking truth. And because their works were evil, light had, had to come. And Jesus came as that light. We read in John 8, Chapter 8, verse 12, I, Jesus says, am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. He who takes on my easy yoke will not walk in darkness. Why? Because Jesus is light. And everywhere he goes, there's this headlight in front of us, around us, enlightening us, as long as we're yoked to him. Jesus is the light. Jesus, through truth and grace, exposes the dark, private closets of our lives those places that we prefer to keep hidden. Each of us have or have had that hidden mess that needs to be cleaned up. 
The light of Jesus shows us that there's dirt piled up that doesn't just need cleaning out, but it's ready for planting. Those closet spaces where we just shove all the junk, that's the dirt, that's the place where the seeds can be planted. That's when we shine our light, we get to the dirty work that God's called us to. And that exists in each one of our lives. We're not above this, we're not beyond this, and we're not free of this. This happens to each one of us. We either are dealing with it or we have dealt with it. We've dealt with the temptations and the secret sins and the faults that we'd rather not have to admit to or, or let others see in our lives. We've dealt with the way, we have to deal with the way that we treat other people or those that, or how do we, how we love, the, how we've treated the people that we love or worse, how we treat those that we don't love. It's the selfish attitudes that we've nurtured and fed and allowed to take root. These are the, the, the dark places in our lives that Jesus comes and shines light upon. The times we prefer to look the other way instead of offering a helping hand. See, this, this all makes light sound like something we should run from. Light reveals all those things in our lives? Yes. Praise God it does. Because light helps us see the gap between God and ourselves. But not only does the light help us see it, light helps bridge it. The light, Jesus, has come into the world not to bring condemnation, not, not to condemn the world, but to bring hope, to bring salvation. The light has come not to rub our noses in the dirt of our lives, but to help clean out our closets and to plant seeds in that very same dirt that will help us recognize how much God loves us. The light's come into the world not to, to sweep out the mess in our lives, but to bring healing and reconciliation. So when we're put up on the stand, our stories become attractive to others. Because who wants to come into a situation where we've got it all figured out and they don't? It's time we stop pretending. Allowing God to use those moments in our lives that are often painful, that often express a deep hurt and wound, that aren't easy to talk about but that open up a door for us to speak into the lives of others, into the darkness that they may find themselves in, to shine. And this light is freely offered to us. This invitation that Jesus gives to us, we're invited to walk in the light with him, but we're also invited to be the light. The sun, the sun is shining. Bask in the warmth of the sun, and I mean the Son of God, not the sunlight. Bask in his warmth, bask in his light. He's the light that changes everything. Pastor Vince Gerhardy summarizes it like this. The light that Jesus brings, brings forgiveness, brings hope, brings encouragement, brings love. It brings strength. He is what you need to lighten your personal darkness. He's the light to every person who has need of superhuman strength to see through the darkness he is the light who guides us along life's journey that often raises more questions than it does give answers. He's the light that pushes out the darkness of guilt with forgiveness and the darkness of fear when we take our last breath. He's the light of life. He's eternal life. He invites us to join him. Why wouldn't we want life? Why wouldn't we want to be light? When we have received this hope, the light that this brings... Why wouldn't we be compelled to share that with others? The hesitancy, church. <clears throat> I've almost been together a year. Well, just, just, you just get to know me right away. I can be pretty blunt at times and hopefully gracious at others. But, but the reality is, if we struggle with being his light, then that, that bears evidence that there's something still missing in our understanding of his grace. 
there's still something missing in our expression of, of our faith. It's perhaps we're too comfortable sitting on the bench, kind of listening, being, being, being at the game instead of being in the game. And that's one of my passions as a pastor is see people get off the bench to get engaged, choose to play. Whatever way darkness has shown itself in our lives, may there be no doubt today that Christ has come to be light for us. But when he becomes light for us, we then choose to accept the responsibility of being light for others. See, where there's darkness in our family, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our community, Christ has come to shed light on all those areas, to bring restoration and peace and joy, all because of his grace. Whenever there's darkness in our culture, our world at large, and there is certainly a lot of it, we shouldn't be surprised by that, by the way. Scripture tells us it's going to continue to get worse. It's going to continue to get darker. But that shouldn't discourage us as Christians. That should excite us. Because the darker the darkness, the brighter the light seems. The more it stands out, the more it attracts. The reason it's not attractive today is perhaps we've got it polluted a little bit. But all the opportunities before us, Christ commands us to let our light shine. We're to use whatever means, whatever opportunity he gives to us to step into the sufferings of others, to drive out the very darkness that shrouds their lives, that hangs over them like a shadow. We are to let the light of Christ shine through us. The darkness of despair and hopelessness might be pushed out. When we're yoked to Jesus, we become light. I shared with you earlier Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. We're the light of the world. We're called to be light. Now in verse 16, Jesus says this in the same way. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others. How do we do that? What's that look like? Well, it begins with vision, with seeing. That's what light helps us do, to see. But the next step is also equally important, that they, the others, the crowds, may see. What do they see? They see the light we shine through our Good deeds. Jesus, through his compassion, was compelled to act. He then tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, that we are to let our light shine through your good deeds. Our good deeds, what are, what's good? The only thing good in our lives is what comes from Jesus Christ. So the deeds we do are motivated, compelled by him. Those deeds would help others see. See, we're really good at giving. We have a very generous church. We're really good about of, of providing things, but, but I think where we, we lack, where we, we have some room to grow, and this is, again, a general statement, is, is the actual acting, is the physical doing, is, is the being present, is the, the getting our hands in the dirt. Because it's easy to write a check, sometimes, <laughs> most of the time. It's easy to give, but it's a little bit harder to invest our time in ourselves. That's when we get our hands dirty. That's the dirty work I believe God is calling us to. So the crowds, the others, that men might see. What do they see in us? Is it attractive? Is it pushing them away? Over these last five weeks that we've had this conversation, we've been invited to take on Jesus' easy yoke, to be led by him into God's fields where the harvest still awaits us. Uh, We've been asked to get our hands dirty, to, to break ground, to turn dirt, to engage with the broken, the hurting, and the lost. We've been invited to receive and then give grace as we sow seeds of opportunity, of hope to to those who need it. 
Last week we talked about seeing the crowds uh, as we water uh, not only their lives, but also we pull the weeds in our own lives. And this week we are to shine. We're called to be light and let our light shine as we share our stories, as we plant hope. D. James Kennedy, pastor and teacher, says this, the church of Jesus Christ is growing throughout the world at an unprecedented rate. And that's, that's true. This is due in large measure to the fact that an ever-increasing number of lay people are realizing their responsibility and privilege of being witnesses to Jesus Christ. They're choosing to shine. They're choosing, allowing themselves to put up on a stand, sharing their story. There's really not much to be afraid of when we're yoked to Jesus. He's not going to take you into a situation that you're not prepared for, that your story won't fit, where he can't use you. That's not what he does. He wants to be successful in where he sends you. So, of course, he's going to go with us into places where he can use us. But when we don't want to go, when we're unwilling to be led, that's not speaking about our fear. That's conveying our lack of trust in the one who leads. Yoke ourselves to Jesus. Church, everyone plants. And either we're planting light or we're planting darkness. But the reality is, as we wrap this up, it's time to get our hands dirty. Spent this past Friday night uptown. It's our first one. We had a good time. Had a little bit of good, good barbecue. My kids had a little bit of, um, little, little bit of, of syrup with their little crushed ice. A lot, lot more syrup than ice, if you get what I mean. Um, and I had a lot of fun. But I had some time to step back and see my community, to watch people, to listen. <laughs> Doesn't take much listening to realize there's a lot of darkness in our culture today. What we have is needed. We have to be willing to shine. Stop covering up our light. Stop letting Satan get out. Get our hands dirty. Here's your homework this week. It's my last week of homework. No, not really. Here's your homework. Shine. In a world of confusion, God has, has, has illuminated our paths so many times in so many different ways. Those are stories and testimonies that we can share. And as we encounter people who are struggling with lack of direction or, or with a sense of confusion in their tomorrows, shine. Share the, the wisdom you've received or, or share about the light that lights your path. It may be a passage of scripture or a prayerful insight or wise counsel or a story of how God answered or met a need. Whatever or wherever, as you shine on other situations and opportunities, then let them know where your light comes from. Sometimes that's all it takes. Simple invitation. We close today. I don't know, Amy, did you get my message? I think we did. All right, we're going to close today. This is kind of on the fly today. God's just been working and speaking. We're going to close with a song we sang earlier. This invitation that we're given through worship to build his kingdom. How do we build this kingdom? We shine. We dig. We sow seeds. We water. We weed. We plant, church. The harvest ready for us. And I believe the master is still sending those workers who are willing to go to be a part of it. I invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to pray for us, for us, because we're in this together. And before I pray for you, I want to remind you, we, 
through words of Pastor Kevin Harney I shared just a few weeks ago, we become the living expression of God's goodness, grace, and glory as we take on the yoke of Jesus. We become the living expressions of God's goodness, grace, and glory. What a privilege and opportunity that is for his church. As he puts us up on a stand today, may we choose to shine. Father, we thank you for this call, for this opportunity to, to shine, to make you known, to, to fill in the gaps for, for perhaps the struggles that many are having, to bring hope Lord, into a world that is dark. We're not only called to be salt, to bring flavor and to preserve a message of hope, we're then called, Lord, to be light. God, I pray that, that there's none here today that would choose to cover up that light. There's no one here, Lord, that would allow Satan to get out. But Father, the words of this song that we've learned in Sunday school, when we were kids, Lord, we would let our light shine. Help us, God, to be led into your fields, to be part of, of, of your faith family, Lord, that helps your kingdom grow. As we worship you today, may this be our challenge. May we let our light shine. May you be glorified in through your people. We take on your easy yoke. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope.